they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. God bless you all. I wanted to, uh, I made a promise on the Terry and Jesse show about a Mother Teresa story, my love. So if you don't mind, I'd like to tell this beautiful story. I've, t- I've shared it with my wife for years because I want people to know that miracles are still taking place every day, every day. Well, this took place about Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who's a saint. She was invited to Russia to receive a humanitarian award. You know, she reluctantly accepted, not because she was looking for human praise or worldly honors, but because she had tried for years to open a house for the missionaries of charity in Russia. I remember that. Yeah. 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 And she could never obtain permission from the communist government. She thought God was opening a door with this invitation. So she went to Moscow where the Soviets held a lavish ceremony for her. Now with the whole world news organizations present, Mother Teresa gave her acceptance speech. She noticed during the lecture that a communist interpreter was deliberately mistranslating her words. Wow. He was turning her words into an attack on the United States. No surprise. Western capitalism, imperialism, and warmongering. Mother Teresa stopped her speech. I love this. A woman of action. Walked across the stage, shaking her finger at the interpreter. (laughs) She told him, stop it. Stop. This is not what I said. Either you translate my words correctly or I'm going to walk out of here. I'll leave here now and this will be over. Well, the knucklehead got the message, okay? Mm-hmm. He went back to the po- she went back to the podium to finish her speech. When it was over, one of her sisters asked, Mother, <laughs> Mother, how did you know? You don't speak Russian. <laughs> Mother replied, No, I don't speak Russian, but the Holy Spirit does. Amen. And that's a true story. But you know, Mary, it, it inspired me because with God, when someone is living in union with God, yep. God works miracles with them. Mm. And so I just wanted to share that off. Thank you for letting me take a couple minutes to, with that story. I've been meaning to tell that story on the radio, and I finally got to do it. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's all yeah. yours, my that, love. That's a great story, and that's a good reminder to all of us. You know, the Holy Spirit works in and through us. Mm-hmm. And if we allow him, we can stand in his way. We can interfere with what God's trying to do with us mm-hmm. by not cooperating. Um, so anyway... Well, Thank let's you start for with sharing the, that story. Well, let's, my, it's an honor to share yeah. it with you, my love. Let's look at the, the gospel for the day. Yep. We're in the 13th week of Ordinary Time, and this is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So the gospel is from Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. As Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm came up on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by waves. But he was asleep. They came and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you terrified, O you of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was great calm. The men were amazed and said, What sort of man is this, whom even the winds and the sea obey? The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
incredible gospel right. here. And, and it's, it's interesting, the commentary. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning here, we have, um, you know, they get, this was after, um, <clears throat> he's, <clears throat> he's been doing miracles, and he, so they get in the boat, and they're going off across the sea. And um, it says a great storm arose on the sea. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is the word that's used for storm in this particular passage mm-hmm. is actually earthquake. Wow. Yeah, it's earthquake. It's, it's, it's not just any kind of storm. It's the Greek term used is seismos, <laughs> like an earthquake, literally. And, and Matthew uses the same word in chapter 24, 7. Where Jesus is talking about, you know, the trials and tribulations that will come, there will be Greek famines and earthquakes mm-hmm. and and wars and these things. And then in in Matthew twenty seven fifty four, the earthquake at the death of Jesus, and again in Matthew twenty eight two, the earthquake when the angel comes to move the stone away from the resur- the tomb at the res- after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. So it, it's not just a little storm. I mean, this is a huge, massive, a huge, yeah. frightening storm. And remember, these, these men are men who are, they're frightened. But these are men who live by the sea. They, they make their living fishing. So, and it's interesting. It says that Jesus was asleep in the boat. Well, in the scriptures, you want to look for connections because everything is connected. Uh, every word of scripture speaks to us about the second person of the Blessed Trinity the God-man, the Word of God made flesh. Well, where else was there someone sleeping on a boat in a storm? Oh, gee, in the Old Testament, in the book of Jonah. There you go. Only in that instance, Jonah is running away from God, right? Because he doesn't want to tell the Ninevites that God's about to destroy him because he wants God to destroy him (laughs) because he's a prophet. And he knows if his people aren't faithful, God will raise up Nineveh to be the ones to chastise his people. So he's running away. He doesn't want the Assyrians to get saved. So, and so he's sleeping. There's a storm on the sea comes up because Jonah's running away from God. He's sleeping in the boat. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And the sailors are frightened in both instances. Then again, men who live by the sea, and this is such a violent storm as they have not experienced before, apparently, because they're frightened. And they both come, the one group, finds Jonah down in the hole. What are you sleeping for? Get up and pray to your God. Don't you know we're about to perish? Mm -hmm. And the other group is the apostles going to Jesus saying, Lord, aren't you you concerned that we're going to (laughs) perish? You're sleeping there. How can you sleep through this? And in Jonah is the instrument of deliverance because he tells the sailors, you have to throw me into the sea. I'm I'm running away from God. And they're like, oh, how could you do such a thing? <laughs> You're bringing this horrible. And the men don't want to throw him into the sea. They don't want to be guilty of murder. And so they try and row to, to regain the land. They try and get control of the ship in this storm. And they don't manage. So they do. They finally, they, and they kneel down and they say, Lord, don't hold this sin against us. We, we're only doing what he's telling us to do. We don't understand. So they throw him overboard and shoo, calm. Perfect calm. And of course, the fish comes and swallows Jonah. But Jesus calms the storm with his word. He simply says, quiet, be still. And again, who has power? Who has authority over the wind and the waves? Who has authority over the sea? Well, not everyone has authority over the sea. And in the Old Testament, only God has authority over the sea. 
just as he sent the storm because Jonah was running away, and he calms the storm when Jonah is thrown overboard. And the apostles marvel. Now, Jesus does not fully immediately reveal his divinity to his apostles. Of course, he's worked miracles. He's teaching in a way that no one has ever taught. So, but gradually he is unfolding his divinity to them so that they can accept it. And it won't be until um, in the, a little later in Matthew's gospel when there's another storm on the sea and, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water and Peter, you know, and they, they're afraid. And, and um, in that instance, when Jesus gets in the boat, then the apostles kneel down and say, You know, they, they worship him as God. They're beginning to understand he really is divine. But that comes later on. It's in chapter um, 14, I believe. <clears throat> so St. John Chrysostom tells us, you know, in every scripture, the first interpretation is the literal historical interpretation. But then you have the other, the, the spiritual senses of scripture. And one of them is the moral. And St. John Chrysostom tells us that the moral sense of this passage, how does it apply to our lives? Well, <clears throat> the wave-tossed boat signifies the struggles of the Christian life. Endangered by the wind and fierce waves, God's people are awakened by spiritual assaults and become aware of their helplessness. You see, we're always going to face trials. We're always going to face temptations. And it's good for us because it helps us to understand, <laughs> I can't do this on my own. I need God's help. And John Christum is telling us, so this awakens in, in us our spiritual awareness that we need God's help. We are helpless without him. Can I ask you a question to make it practical? We're all living in storms. Right. You know, and the Blessed Sacrament is there for us to go and visit and to calm us down and to really focus our eyes on Jesus right. rather than any world politic political process right. or right. anyone else. Right. Is that a fair statement to applying this? Absolutely. Jesus is the one. And I mean, the, the apostles wake up. They go to Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not going to be having the perfect food to eat. It's no. not going to have the perfect nutrition. You know, there's no way to remove all disease and sin. In, there's no way to remove all disease and death in this world. It's not going to happen mm -hmm. because it came into this world as a result of sin. Mm -hmm. And unless everybody in the world gives up sin and turns back to God and absolutely gives up sin, uh, we're going to have trials and tribulations. That's just how it is. And so, yeah, they're there. But yes, cling to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Just like the apostles turn to our Lord. They're desperate and they're, they're afraid. They turn to our Lord. Go to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and ask. So they call upon the Lord for salvation. And that's what St. John Chrysostom goes on to say. It's calling on the Lord that's going to bring us inner peace, and is going to bring us calm, even if the storm doesn't go away. By the way, Jesus doesn't always remove the suffering. No. Sometimes he does. He works miracles all the time. But you know what? He doesn't always. Sometimes the, the, greater, the greater miracles, not sometimes, the greater miracles are the ones we don't see. And the greatest miracle is the conversion of the heart of the man back to God. Wow. Yeah. Well so. said. So what's the message? I said earlier in the earlier shows, make a commitment to... Go to an extra mass during the week if you can. Absolutely. Make that holy hour once a week if you're not making a holy hour daily. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll be back with more of God's Word to you. 
our listener. This is Terry Barber reminding you there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity. Be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. And last week we were looking at chapter 7 of the Acts of the Apostles, and we had the martyrdom of Stephen at the end of chapter 7. And of course, it's so beautiful. Stephen does what our Lord did. These people are stoning him to death. And he says, you know, do not hold this sin against them. And then he commends his spirit to, the, to, to God, as, as Jesus did. And, of course, we we've knew in chapter 7 that it, it, there's a man named Saul at whom the people are piling, at whose feet the people who are stoning Stephen are piling their cloaks. So Saul is overseeing the death of, of Stephen. So he's the one who's consenting to Stephen's death. So we have chapter 8, and Stephen has been stoned to death. And what happens? Well, Saul begins to persecute the early church. And because of this persecution, the church is driven out of Jerusalem. Now, at first, this may seem very disconcerting. And it's like, well, how is the church supposed to prosper if, you know, here we are, the people are all being killed or imprisoned and 
Paul, Saul was. He said he persecuted the church to the point of death. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine some of these people were put to death. But they were. he was going into house after house in Jerusalem and arresting people mm-hmm. if they belonged to Christianity, if they had joined the new way. And um, he he's arresting men and women, putting them in prison. And so what happens is they're scattered. But as the people scatter in the providence of God, what happens? So they have this terrible misfortune going on, right? They're being persecuted. But St. John Chrysostom says, observe how in the middle of misfortune, the Christians keep up their preaching instead of neglecting it. Mm. So they're scattered. They have to leave Jerusalem, but not the apostles, but many of the people leave Jerusalem, but they take the gospel with them and they keep spreading the word. So now instead of confining the gospel and squelching it, it backfired. this person, exactly, this persecution is going to spread the gospel. <laughs> and Isn't said, that why persecution many times in Russia and in, the, in, the, in, the, in other parts of the world, it seems that we actually grow yeah. when we're persecuted. And you know what? On the opposite side, when, when we have an easy Christianity, what, is it, what happens? People become lethargic in their faith. They become complacent. We become complacent. We think, oh, yeah, you know, this is, we believe, actually what, what tends to happen is we begin to believe the health and wealth gospel. Yeah. If I believe, if I believe on Jesus Christ, then I'm never going to be sick or I'm going to be wealthy and I'm going to have everything I need of this world. And it's like, really? <laughs> That's not the gospel Jesus preached. Right. The gospel Jesus preached is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is within. And what is it about? Repent. Repent and turn away from your sins and believe that God really became man and lived on this earth in order to bring you back into union with himself. When God created man in the beginning, he made Adam and Eve in the state of of original grace. They didn't have any sin. They were immaculately created God created them without sin and he filled them with his grace and they lost that when they sinned and he promised, God promised he would send a savior. And of course that savior came and that's what the Jews had been waiting for that God had tried to prepare them for the coming of the savior. And so, yeah, we, the, the misfortunes are there. God didn't come to remove all of the effects of sin. He came to remove sin just like baptism It doesn't remove the effects of original sin from us. We still have concupiscence. Mm -hmm. We still have a darkened intellect and a weakened will. And it's easier for us to sin than it is for us to do good. As a matter of fact, we can't do any good without God's help. Any good that's done is really done because God inspired it. He gives us the strength and the courage and the means to do it. And then it is carried out with it and brought to completion and fruition because God blesses it. So we're cooperating with the grace of God. We cooperate. And that's what we want to do is cooperate. And the first way to cooperate is repent. Mm-hmm. We have to give up sin. Mm-hmm. We don't compromise with sin in our life. It's interesting because the first reading at Mass today is the reading about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's right. And a lot of people like to say, oh, well, in, in our modern day, there are those. There are those who claim, oh, well, the reason Sodom and Gomorrah were, were destroyed is because of their lack of hospitality. No. And then they say, you see, when the angels came, the people weren't hospitable to them. Only Lot was. And so that's why Lot, well, wait a minute. No, the reason the angels came to begin with is because God came down because the cries, in other words, there are certain sins that cry out to God for vengeance. And, and 
the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were so great that God said, no, I have to destroy these people. And yes, God can do that. God is God, and he doesn't destroy us because he hates us. He destroys us because he loves us. And, and the more we sin, the worse our punishment in hell is going to be. You know, and, and he gives us opportunities to repent. And if we refuse to repent, he will limit the amount of eternal punishment even that we're going to get by shortening our life <laughs> so that we don't get more eternal punishment by continuing to sin and offend him. And by the way, God hates sin so much because it degrades us. God made us in his image. Mm -hmm. We're made in God's image. And when we sin, it degrades us as human beings. Any sin. And all of us are called to live chaste lives. Okay? Sodom and Gomorrah had a problem with chastity. And they weren't living chaste lives. And it wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah that was destroyed. There were five cities on the plane there. And they're under the Dead Sea now. Archaeologists have shown that that actually took place. Right, that they actually are there. Mm -hmm. and, And that there was some kind of fire that destroyed them. And so they've done the work. So we we want to realize that, you know, when Christians are being opposed, that's an opportunity for we as Christians to stand up and really rely on the Lord and say, okay, Lord, pour out your grace and mercy upon us and bring conversions and work signs and wonders so that people will believe that you are the answer. I think our own age has the similar challenge for us Christians with regards to abortion. Right. Killing of unborn babies. Absolutely. And the slaughter worldwide, 56 million a year are dying because of abortion. And it seems to me that we Christians are the ones who can pray and act to stop this through our prayers and our actions. So it's a combination. And I would just pray uh, and say this for, to our listener. If you're not active in the pro-life movement, at least Offer prayers of reparation for abortion during your day, hopefully in front of the Blessed Sacrament mm-hmm. or in front of a clinic. If you feel like God called you to pray at a clinic, yeah. we know that that stops abortion. Yes, it does. Just one, one person praying the rosary outside stops abortion. Joe Scheidler wrote a book years ago called Closed, right. 99 Ways to Close an Abortion right. Clinic. And he found out from people who had left the abortion industry that one person praying the rosary outside of the clinic can has the capacity to cut the number of abortions mm-hmm. going on inside by 50%. Wow. Because God's grace makes it such that they cannot kill those children. Mm. And so God saves women. And then also, there's if, if people coming to the clinic see, and this is something Planned Parenthood never wanted anybody to know, but Abby Johnson, you know, gave up her, her life of, of counseling people to have abortions because she realized how evil it was. God showed her the evil of abortion by letting her do an ultrasound while the doctor did an abortion. She held the ultrasound. Mm. She was the ultrasound technician for the doctor. And she had never participated in any abortion. All she had ever done was counsel women. She was trying. She thought she was helping women. She was helping women in crisis to, come over, to overcome a crisis. And she got to saw what an abortion actually is. And it was like, that's it, I'm done. I'm totally done. And she said that when there are people praying outside the clinic and, you know, offering women alternatives, many women don't even show up for their appointment because they drive to the clinic and they see people standing outside there praying and they're like, I don't want to be seen going in there. That's right. And they won't come. Now, we know people, Terry and I used to pray the rosary outside the clinic before we had children. We did even when we had the kids. But after a while, it got to the point where some of the people standing out there to defend the clinic were so... You couldn't bring the children because the things that they said 
were not something you wanted children to hear. And so, um, but we saw it happen where people, yeah, people come in. Some people, they don't, they, they pass. And, and we actually had one woman, I mean, she was like eight or nine months pregnant. She said, oh, no, no, I'm not here for an abortion. I'm getting, I'm getting my prenatal care here. So I said, yeah, they, there are clinics that they do offer prenatal care, but what a horrible place to have prenatal care at a place where they're killing babies. Hmm. And that's their major source of income. It's like, oh, could you find another place for prenatal exactly. care? You know, let's, let's provide them with something. You know, there's lots of ways to participate in the pro-life movement. By the way, mm-hmm. one of the ways to, provide, to pr- participate in the pro-life movement is to acknowledge that your body and the body of every single person in your life that you meet is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And treat yourself with reverence and respect. And ask God to give up those things that are actually harming your body, that are harmful for your body. So take care of your body as a temple of God's Spirit. And don't allow people to use you as an object of sin. And don't allow yourself to use yourself as an object of sin. And, and pray for the conversion of sinners. We live in what St. John Paul II called it a culture of death. Yep. And the culture of death is not just abortion. Abortion is a symptom. The culture of death is that selfish, self-centered culture that says, I can live for my own pleasure regardless of how it affects anyone else. You know, pornography, indecency, immodesty, contraception, divorce, you know, no-fault divorce, remarriage, living with someone outside of marriage, all of these things are part of the culture of death. Because in all of those things, people are being used as objects, They're not being loved as a subject of love. But we're all subjects of love because God made us out of love. So we're degrading the human person by participating in these things. A lot of the entertainments, people, the entertainments on television, on radio, the music, the the TV shows, the movies, much of this, even a lot of the books they're writing nowadays and that, that young people read, you know, these vampire stories and whatever, you know, they may be trying to, gloss over and, and try and present a Christian message or present some kind of a good message in the midst of a, but think about ideas have consequences. You know, if your children are reading books about, um, you know, this, this, this life that goes on at night where there's all kinds of supernatural things taking place, but God is not present. Well, if there's supernatural things taking place and God is not present, guess where they're coming from? Hell, literally. And de- the devil will inspire these things to cause confusion. People are looking for mysticism, but they're looking for true mysticism. And true mysticism is union with God. And that begins when we give up our sin. God wants us to give up sin so he can draw us into union with himself. So we need to give up the culture of death in all of its forms. The music, the entertainments. We need to start creating a culture of life. By respecting one another, first and foremost, by looking at one another as persons to be loved and seeing one another as children of God made in his image. Okay, the dignity of the human person needs to be restored. We, and you know what? Even a person who's committed a crime still has dignity. He's, they're made in God's image. We need to pray for their conversion. And yes, people who've committed crimes do convert. It happens all the time. <laughs> it does. It does. I always say, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. And so what are you reading? What are you watching? We'll tell a lot about your faith. It will. When we come back, more with the Bible with the Barbers. And by the way, 
If you're waiting for a little pitch for some donations, that's me. <laughs> go ahead and call, go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877-526-2151. We'd love to have a financial support today from you, our listeners. Thank you. This is Terry Barber reminding you there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity. Be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent real estate for life.org 877-LIFE-US-1 This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you, Jesse. Camera got moved a little. Terry is sitting here next to me. (laughs) He's here. I just move move over a little, and he he's going to move it back. So, what happens? The, the 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 gospel is spread. Um, by um, you know the, the, the persecution, and Philip, not Philip the apostle, but Philip the deacon, goes down to Samaria and he preaches the gospel in Samaria. And when he preaches the gospel in Samaria, what happens is that the people believe. They believe, and so um, there there was a magician in the city there who who was you know he was a charlatan. He would play on the superstitions of peoples and stuff, and he would you know pretend to do wondrous things. And he was you know it was a magician, which often is sleight of hand. And um, he was converted. And then Philip 
uh, you know, sends word to Jerusalem about the conversion of the Samaritans. And so Peter and John come down to confirm because Philip is a deacon. Mm-hmm. Philip can baptize, but he can't confirm. So Peter and John come and they confirm. And when they laid hands on the people and confirm them, these people, you know, be, begin to manifest the gifts of the Holy, the, the, the charisms, excuse me, not the gifts, the charisms of the Holy Spirit, the gifts too. The gifts are wisdom and understanding knowledge and counsel, piety, fortitude, and fear of the Lord. That's right. Those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. okay? But there are charisms, that, and, and they began to manifest these. And so um, the people are just amazed. Well, Simon, the magician, he's like, wow, look at, look at all these you know, amazing things. At first, the apostles are working miracles, and then the people are you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying, and wow, I want all these gifts, you know? And so he comes to the apostles with money. He says, I want to buy these gifts, you know? Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, May your silver perish with you. <laughs> and, and he tells him, you need to repent. So Simon repents and he says, please pray to God for me that I, that I will have the wisdom to know what, what is right and to do what the Lord wants. So he, he realized that, um, you know, all these things that Peter told him, Peter had said, repent therefore with your, that your wickedness of your wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You know, and he had said, may your silver perish with you. And Simon's like, would you ask the Lord that none of that stuff happens to me? Yeah, we should be, we should be a frightened in the sense of knowing that, you know what, sin can separate us from God for all eternity. And the biggest one is our pride and our vanity. You know, if the devil can't get us to commit sins, to actually break the Ten Commandments, what he will do is he will try and get us to look at ourselves and start being vain or proud. So we need to beg God every day to deliver us from all sin, and especially the sins of pride and vanity. Any good that that we do is not ours, it's God's. God is good, and only God is good. And no good can be done without God's help and without his grace. You know what? We don't need anybody's help to sin. We can do that all by ourselves. You got that right. Flip Wilson was not right. The devil didn't make him do it. <laughs> you know, when we sin, we sin. If, if we didn't choose it with our will, it's not sin. Right. You have to choose it with your own will freely for it to be sin. Okay. So we don't need help to do evil, but we do need help to do good. Mm-hmm. But you know what? God is always ready. He's there. Just like Jesus was in the boat. He was sleeping, but he was there. And Jesus is in the blessed sacrament. And we may say, well, I can't see him. You're right. We walk by faith and not by sight. We hear his words all the time. Every time the scriptures are read, we hear the actual words that Jesus spoke while he lived on earth. That's what the church teaches us. But we can't hear his voice. And we don't see him physically, but that's okay. God wants us to love him for himself. Mm-hmm. God is God and we are not. And we need to love him for himself and not for the gifts that he gives. And oftentimes when we see great things, we start loving God for the gifts he gives. And we get a little mixed up and we actually, that's a form of idolatry to worship the gift and not the giver. We have to worship the giver and thank him for the gifts he gives. And so his grace is a gift. I might add also about trials that the Lord sends our way. Sometimes I hear people tell me, oh, I don't think God is thinking about me anymore because I'm going through so many trials. And I think of that, and I want to encourage people to remember we're all going to have trials and our tribulations in our life, 
but what does the Bible say? We have overcome that with Jesus. So I just want to encourage people who might even be scandalized by the uh, challenges in the church today. Right. But keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we focus too much on the scandals, and that might depress you. And it should depress you in one sense as a natural thing. You don't like to see evil going on in our church. No. So we pray for these men, especially the ones who have committed these horrible crimes, that they will be converted. And we also pray that God will bless our church with strong leaders who are not unafraid of proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified because we know at the end of the story, we win. Jesus wins. (laughs) And so I, I only encourage this because many of us are going through trials in our own life. Even that is coming from God allows these sufferings for a greater good. Absolutely. And remember, again, suffering came as an intrusion. God made a perfect paradise. No sin, no death, no disease, no suffering. And man rejected that perfect paradise Mm -hmm. by letting his trust in God die in his heart. And he turned away from God. So now the question is, in the midst of tribulations, are we going to trust God? What about Jesus on the cross? Take a good, long, hard look at the cross. We need to do this often and frequently, you know. Had God abandoned him? Was he suffering this because he was evil or because God hated him? No. He did this out of love for us, out of obedience to his father and love for his father, but out of love for us because God had promised in the beginning. Remember Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed, her seed, Jesus Christ, and your seed, the devil's seed, those who do evil. You will strike, he will strike at your, your head while you strike at his heel. But his, his heel will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent is only a creature. Satan is only a creature. He has no power. <laughs> he's just a creature. Now, granted, he's an angel, so don't think you can mess with him, okay? But you have a guarding angel who's stronger than him because your guarding angel fights with the power of God. So call on your guarding angel and call on Jesus Christ. And remember when we're suffering... Suffering helps to free us from attachment to ourselves and our own will. It helps to free us from attachment to sin. And it has the capacity. It makes us look like Jesus. We begin to look like him when we suffer. Jesus suffered. He really suffered. It wasn't a show, you know. It's not the Gnostic gospel. or It's, it's the real gospel. The gospel that Jesus Christ really suffered in the flesh. Why? To redeem our flesh. And not so that we wouldn't have to suffer, but that our suffering would then take on meaning and become redemptive in union with his. So do everything and don't go looking for suffering. You don't need to. Don't no, try and cause yourself suffering. No, <laughs> you're not a masochist. No, we're not. You know, it, it, it's like we don't mutilate people. Nope. We don't cut off hands and feet. And, you know, unless unless they're diseased, you know, if you have gangrene in your hand and yeah, cut the hand off before it kills you because the gangrene will spread through your whole body and kill you unless you can kill it with whatever antibiotics they have. You know, if there's a diseased part of your body, yes, we can, we can cut that out because of the disease. But we don't mutilate the body because the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is holy. And the whole body is holy. Everything in our body is holy. God is good. And he made us with this tremendous paradise that we rejected by sin. And, and because of the sin... Suffering has come into the world. But then when Jesus Christ came and he himself suffered, he redeemed the meaning of suffering. And now it's redemptive. Well said. And 
I will mention that what you were quoting was Genesis 3.15 earlier, just a few minutes ago, but I also want to bring up Colossians chapter 1, right. since we're talking about suffering, when I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the good of the church, so every action becomes like a blank check. I've said this for years because I got it from Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Right. And can I throw something in on the side about Bishop Sheen? I was gone in Nevada on Friday, and I had heard through my phone that uh, Bishop Sheen's body was moved to Peoria, Illinois. And so the canonization process can continue for Bishop Sheen. And I read that they expect his beatification sometime later this year. I hope and pray that would be the case because, you know, Mary, this topic of suffering, I don't know anybody better than Bishop Bishop Sheen when he explains redemptive suffering. And if you haven't heard Bishop Sheen Life is Worth Living on MP3. Yeah. We do have that. And just for a donation, we'll send it to you along with a catechism DVD about our faith because so many Catholics don't hear this enough. Right. And that's why we want to make it available. So if you want that, call 877-526-215 or go to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're really excited that we get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with his Bible, with his sacraments, because there is such a lack of knowledge about our Catholic faith. So many people have left the church because of lack of knowledge. They didn't know better. They don't even know what they're, they're leaving. And that's St. Maximilian Colby recognized that way back when the, when the Freemasons had 19, a demonstration. 1917. Yeah, the Freemasons had a demonstration against the church. Right in, in Rome. Saint, in St. Peter's Square. Yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> you know? And and Maximilian Kolbe realized, he said, St. Maximilian Kolbe realized, people are being pulled out of the Catholic Church because they don't even know their faith. Yep. And they're being duped. Yep. And they're being led away from Christ. And the Freemasons, by the way, made a resolve that, that they would do, they would destroy the church by corrupting the morals of the youth. Yep, they promised. If we destroy their morals, they won't go to church. You see, when you have a moral difference with Christ, it becomes real hard to follow him. Yeah. If you don't want to keep the Ten Commandments... And you find out the following Christ means keeping the Ten Commandments. It's like, well, wait a minute. What would I want to give up my fun for? Well, because there's something better waiting Amen. for you. And it may seem like fun now when you sin. But you know what? Anyone who sins is a slave of sin. You're not free. When you sin, it's not giving you freedom. You see, the Ten Commandments is what give us, they give us freedom. It's the Ten Commandments that make us free. When we obey the Ten Commandments and follow the law of God, God made us. The Ten Commandments are kind of like the owner's manual, you know? Exactly. You want happiness? This is how you get it. You, you mean I can't, be, I can't be like Ford and come up with a better idea? Yeah, well, nope. you, you know, there's it's, no better idea. Jesus Christ. There's it is, no better idea. Yeah, than the Ten Commandments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. So, and that part of that filling up what's lacking in the suffering of Christ in my own flesh yeah. is that resistance to sin. We mm. resist sin and give ourselves to God. We don't resist God. We turn away from sin. Turn away from sin and turn back to God. Well said. We'll be right back with the Bible with the Barbers. And I want to thank you for listening and sharing this with your friends through your social media. We love being able to share it with you. We'll be right back. Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. 
They're going to be talking about true femininity. Be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent real estate for life.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. Terry had to go do an errand, so I'm here, and we're going to finish up here, my guarding angel. and We're on um, chapter 8 of the Acts of the Apostles. Verse 26 is where the angel of the Lord told Philip to go toward the south road, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Philip immediately, now this is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip the deacon, as I mentioned earlier. That's why when when the people of Samaria believe, Peter and John have to come and confirm those people. Uh, Philip could baptize them as a deacon, but he, he can't confirm them. So, so Philip goes down, and as he's walking along the road, there's a... Um, a chariot going down the road, and the chariot has the um, the he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a minister of Candace. Candace was the queen of the Ethiopians, and um, he was um, there, and, and he had been to Jerusalem to worship. So apparently, this was a he's an Ethiopian who has come to believe in the God of the Old Testament. He's, he believes the revelation of God, and so the Spirit tells Philip to catch up with the chariot. And so he does. Philip runs up and catches up with the chariot, and the man is reading, and he's reading from the passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, as a sheep led to the slaughter or a lamb before the shearer is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice is denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken up from the earth. So the eunuch says to Philip, he says, you know, Philip asks him, well, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? We need the church to explain the scriptures to us. 
because the scriptures are God's word. And there are many things in scriptures that are difficult to understand. They're not just straightforward. And we need God's help to know what that means. And it's not just a matter of everybody gets to read the scripture and decides what it means. No, the scriptures are God's word and God gives wisdom to the church and particularly through the father, through the uh, bishops, the Holy Father and the bishops in union with him, God tells us, as a matter of fact, if it weren't for the Catholic Church and the bishops of the Catholic Church and the Pope and the bishops, we wouldn't have the scriptures. You see, the Jews didn't have a canon of scriptures at the time of Jesus. They didn't have a set canon. It was the Catholic Church who gave us the canon of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Jews didn't have a canon of the Old Testament. There was disagreement among the Jews about what books were Old Testament were inspired. They did believe scripture was inspired, but they didn't all agree about what books were the inspired word. And it wasn't until the bishops of the Catholic Church got together in the late 300s and early 400s at uh, a couple of different synods and, and councils to definitively define what books were the canon. Now, that wasn't definitively definitively. They defined and they gave a list of the 72 books that are in the Catholic Bible and that was accepted, and it wasn't until the 1500s when Martin Luther decided that he didn't like some of those books, the Deuterocanonical books and um, the Letter of James, and um, you know, he wanted to throw those out. And so then the Council of Trent definitively defined this, which books were Scripture, not because the Council of Trent had come up with that list. That list had existed in the Catholic Church for over a thousand years, it had already been set in stone, as it were, in terms of everybody believed it. It was believed everywhere, always, and by everyone, until Martin Luther came along and actually changed the Book of Romans by adding the word alone in front of the word, you know, after the word faith, faith alone, you're saved by faith alone. He added the word alone. And even the people at the time were saying, why are you adding the word? And he said, oh, because that's what it means. No, Martin Luther, that's not what it meant. You know, he was interpreting scripture for himself. So it's not a matter of our own personal interpretation. How am I going to understand unless there's someone there to explain it to me? And how can someone explain it unless someone is sent? And how can someone be sent unless God calls them? And that's what scripture teaches us. So the eunuch, Philip uses this passage to to explain about Jesus Christ. And that, yeah, his suffering was foretold. His suffering and death. He was going to suffer and die. He didn't come to establish an earthly paradise. He came to establish the kingdom of heaven. And yes, on earth, in terms of we're supposed to give up our sins and live in union with God right here on earth and live in his grace continuously, but it's not, it's not heaven on earth forever on earth. <laughs> it's heaven on earth because I'm living in union with God now, but heaven on earth so that I can be in heaven forever with God. And So Philip explains about Jesus Christ and that God sent Jesus to be the Messiah and the Savior and to to free us from sin and from from all attachment to sin and to help us give up our sins. And and he explains to him the whole gospel. He gives him the gospel. And the eunuch is, is moved. He's moved by the Holy Spirit and he's moved to faith. And he says, well, what's to prevent me from being baptized? As they were passing some water. They're passing some water along the way. And the, the eunuch says, well, what's to prevent me from being baptized? So Philip has, he's catechized him somewhat. He's evangelized him. 
you know, hasn't fully catechized him, but he's evangelized him. He, he's given him the good news of the gospel. And they go down to the water and Philip baptizes the eunuch. And after Philip baptizes the eunuch, Philip is snatched away. And he's taken somewhere else. The spirit takes him to another place to preach the gospel. But the eunuch goes on his way and he goes back to his, his work in Ethiopia. And he rejoices. He's rejoicing because he has received the good news of Jesus Christ. So we have now chapter 9. And in chapter 9 of the Acts of the Apostles, we have Saul heading for Damascus. Do we all remember the story? Saul, breathing murderous threats against the church, gets letters from the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and to take anyone that he finds following this new way and arrest them, men or women, doesn't matter. And he's going to put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem. So Saul is doing this, um, and he's going down there. And as he's going, as they get close to Damascus, there's suddenly a bright light. And Saul falls to the ground. And he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Wait a minute. Who's Saul persecuting? He's persecuting the church. And yet the voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Whoa. Whatever you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. Did Jesus say something like that in the gospel? One is one of the reasons why we treat one another with dignity and respect. Because whatever we do to our brothers, we do to Jesus Christ. So if we denigrate other people, if we put them down, if we tell them they're no good and they're not capable of anything, if we call them morons and idiots and imbeciles, we're calling Jesus Christ that. That's what Jesus says. That's how closely he identifies with his people. We are called to live differently than the people of this world. And the human dignity of the, of the human person, the dignity of each individual human person is greater than my perception of what their capacity to work in this world is. Okay? Their dignity is far above what I perceive their capacity to be. All right? We don't have a right to denigrate anyone. We don't have a right to put anybody down. If someone's having a hard time at work and they're not getting it, work with them. Try and teach them. Maybe they're not willing to learn. If they're not willing to learn, you know, as an employer, you might have to say, look, if you're not willing to learn and try harder, I I can't put you on the payroll because I can't pay you for doing nothing. But if they're willing to work and learn, try and teach them. And don't just tell them they're idiots. You know, is it okay for human beings to make a mistake? Well, then when a person makes a mistake, don't tell them they're an idiot or an imbecile. That's not of God. That's of our own human pride. That's Whether we know it or not, that's an act of putting ourselves above others. That's what the saints and the fathers of the church would teach us. That's what the scripture teaches. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the Christians. Who are you? I am Jesus Christ, whom you are persecuting. By taking the Christians out and putting them in chains and stoning Stephen to death, you're persecuting me, Saul, because I identify myself with my brothers and sisters, all of those who are baptized, 
all of those who have been called to follow the gospel. And by the way, everyone's called. We're all God's children in the sense that God created all of us. By baptism, we become members of his family. And yes, we are bound by the sacraments, but God is not. God can give the grace of baptism to someone outside of the sacrament of baptism. St. Thomas Aquinas taught there's a baptism of desire, that those who desire to be Christian, even if they aren't baptized formally, if they die, but they really firmly desire and they've been striving to, to enter into the church. And do we have an example of that? Yes, we have an example in the, in the church. In the early church, there was a man, an old man, studying for the catechumenate. <clears throat> and he died before Easter. He died before he was baptized. And his bishop was very concerned. And he wrote to the Pope. And he said, well, what do we, I mean, what about his salvation? And the Pope at the time wrote back to that bishop and said, be assured of the old man's salvation. His desire to be united to Christ was granted. Jesus Christ saw the heart. And even though he didn't live to be baptized, he received the grace of baptism. And then there's baptism of blood. Those who gave their life for Christ. Dismas on the cross didn't have a chance to be baptized with water. But he did confess Jesus Christ to be his Savior. And he did confess Jesus to be the Lord. And he did confess his own sins and repented of them. And Jesus Christ said, This day you shall be with me in paradise. The 40 martyrs of Sebastian. There were 40 men, Roman soldiers, who had actually saved the legions one time because of their bravery and their courage and the wisdom that God had given them. And they were being martyred because they were Christian. And they prayed that the 40 of them would persevere. They were beaten, and then they were, they were stripped, and they were put on a frozen lake in the center of the frozen lake in the wintertime. This is frozen lake, right? So they're freezing to death after having been beaten. And they're praying that they will all persevere. In the meantime, the soldiers have a pot of water over a fire and they're keeping it warm. And one of the, one of the 40, they prayed that all 40 of them would persevere. But one of the 40 just, he can't take it anymore. And he goes to the pot of water. Of course, he dies immediately once he gets in the pot of water because he'd been freezing and he gets into warm water. It kills him. But one of the soldiers who was standing on, as the morning comes on and these men begin to die, he sees the angels coming to take their souls And this soldier comes, and he declares himself a Christian. And so he's beaten and stripped, and he joins the others, but there's no one there to baptize him. They're all dying. He's a martyr of the Catholic Church. The martyrdom, the, the baptism of blood. So when we persecute other people, we persecute Jesus Christ. Let us all be aware of that, and let us treat one another with the dignity that is due to the human person as a child of God, a brother of Christ, a temple of the Holy Spirit, and heir to the kingdom of heaven. We are loved. We were made by love. We were made for love. And we were made to give love to others. The love of God. So may you know the love of God poured out for you in Christ Jesus. And may you spread that love with your life and with the joy that you show in the gospel. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. 
May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.